We turn in God's word tonight then to reflect upon not only our statement of faith, the hymns that we have sung, but certainly upon the word itself. We turn to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. Two articles from the Belgic that we have used as our statement of faith tonight certainly cannot be uh, completely uh, dealt with in one sermon, nor can in one sermon you deal with all that God's Word has to tell us about the church as well. So we are but dipping in, as it were, this evening. Colossians chapter 1, we're going to begin to read at verse 15. Speaking then of Christ is the subject and referred to in this section. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in the body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Thus far the reading of God's word, I invite you to keep the passage open here. Let's bow in prayer once again. Our merciful Father, as we come to that point of worship again where we hear your word proclaimed, Father, we just pray that you would allow us to leave the distractions of this world behind, the cares and the concerns that so easily ensnare us, and Father, that we would, with all our mind, with all our heart, and with all our soul, focus on the word that is being brought this evening. And Father, we just pray as the Holy Spirit applies it, that we would ever be more transformed into the image of Christ. Father, we pray too for Pastor Bob as he brings your word. Father, guide his words, guide his thoughts. And Father, we pray that it is your very word to your people this evening. All this we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. I want to look at three things in regards to Colossians 1 and how it pertains to the Belgic Confession. First of all, the preeminence of Christ. Secondly, then, the historical context out of which the Belgic statements were made. And then thirdly, the illustrated church. Now that word that we find here in the passage that I read, that in everything he might be preeminent. It's a big word. It's a big word. We might 
look at it and say, I don't understand what that means. And that may be true, and I hope that by the time we're at least done with this section, you have at least somewhat of an idea of what it means to be preeminent. Let me, let me use a, an illustration from life in the world in which we live as well, although you probably have never had this happen to you, maybe some of you have. There is this thing in our nation that is called eminent domain. It's the right of eminent domain. It means that the government has the right to take private property for public use. Many of you remember uh, there, there used to be down by uh, 131 and is it, yeah, Pearl Street by the big boy. Sitting in the middle of a parking lot there was a home. That's because the gentleman who lived there was stubborn enough okay, and fought the city enough that even though they paved a parking lot all the way around his home, he stubbornly dug in his heels and the government decided it wasn't worth the tax money that it was going to cost to fight him in court, and so they simply waited until he died, tore down the house, and paved over it. But everybody else, you see, it was the right of eminent domain. Now, the government can't just take your property. They have to compensate you for it, but guess who gets to determine what the compensation is? Not you. It's not what you think your property is worth. Now, you, you understand how that has to function in some way. Imagine what uh, the freeway between here and Muskegon might look like if the government didn't have the right to eminent domain. If every single individual could say, nope, you're not taking mine. Uh, one would wonder why we'd build a freeway in the first place. Of course, then we'd go back to simply paths and gravel roads and just a road to the next neighbor and that would make life difficult as well. So in order to function as a society, we have given to the government a right to this eminent domain. Basically, a right to rule, a right to govern. So when we talk here about the preeminence of Christ, what we mean by that is this. It means that he is the highest authority that there is no authority above Christ. And that this authority is not an authority that he has somehow earned, but it is preeminent. It is a right that has always been his. And so we'd have to go back and remind ourselves of the various other articles out of the Belgic that we looked at and searched God's word where we see Christ as indeed divine. He is indeed part of the Trinity. Therefore, he is eternal. So he is preeminent. He is the highest. He is in first place. First place in terms of rank, in first of dignity, in terms of honor, in terms of power. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Another way of stating it is when Paul writes here that Christ is preeminent, it means that Christ is the ruler. It means that Christ is over all. He is supreme, sovereign over all that there is. So if you look at the text once again that I read this evening, you'll see Paul calls attention to the fact 
that Christ is preeminent over creation. All things are made by him. All things owe him subjection. Everything that has been created, he is the ruler of. There is nothing that has been made, nothing that has been created that does not subject itself to the rule of Christ. But it's true, as Paul points out here, not only of creation, but also over governments. He points out the fact that the principalities and powers. So Paul, in writing to this church at Colossae, is saying, look, I know you're existing under the rule of Rome, but let me tell you something. Rome is under the rule of Christ. Christ is preeminent over all governments, over all authorities, over parents then, over school teachers, over government officials. Christ is supreme. But it also means then that if Christ is over all, Christ is also over every single individual. So that we read, Every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Why is every knee going to do that? Why is every tongue ultimately going to make that confession? Because that's who he is. He is preeminent. But he is also preeminent. And this is what Paul is pointing out here. He is preeminent over the church. He is the head of the body, the church. Head meaning the preeminent one. The one who is sovereign, the one who is ruler, the one who is the highest, the one who is overall. So in this thing that we'll talk about in a few minutes a little bit more, the church... Christ is the one who is supreme. Now that all having been said, we must add to it the fact, even though he is the preeminent one, even though that is what scripture is clearly declaring to us, that rule of Christ is rejected. That rule that Christ has, that sovereignty over all things, that first place that Christ is to be given, is a rejected belief of mankind. Man in his sin naturally rebels against that authority. Man's ultimate sin of pride, thinking that he is in control himself, that he is sovereign over his own life, naturally, as a sinner, rejects the rule of Christ over anything. So when young people go to school these days, oftentimes they will hear nothing about Christ and creation, that's rejected. It's rejected for a, a human model. It's rejected for lies. It's rejected for false teaching, a false philosophy, a false belief. 
Governments do not submit to the rule of Christ. There are some governments that are formed in this world that are in their own constitutions opposed to Christ. There are certainly individuals, and believe it or not, there are actually churches that are opposed to the rule of Christ. Paul points this out, if you still have your scriptures open, go into chapter 2. Go into chapter 2. Pick it up with me at verse 16. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus, the Lord, we could say, therefore, as you received Christ Jesus as preeminent Lord, so walk in him. Rooted and built in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Why? See to it that no one takes you captive, takes you away from that thinking, takes you away from the beliefs that Christ Jesus is Lord. See that no one takes you away. How? By philosophy, by empty deceit. By according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. See how Paul's coming back to that here? That idea of Christ as the preeminent one. What is he warning the Colossian church of? Be careful because there are those who have rejected Christ. There are those who have put aside Christ's preeminence. And they may seek to take you captive. By their empty arguments. By their human tradition. By their empty philosophies. So here's Christ as the preeminent one. He is to be preeminent over all of life. He is to be preeminent over the church. Now we go back to the historical context. Here we have Guido de Bray writing an explanation for the officials in France of the existence of these people who are known as reformed. He understands that in the historical context in which he is living in 1560, that the concept of Christ being the head of the church has been forsaken. On the one hand, you have the existence of the Roman Catholic Church. A church that is governed, supposedly, by successors to Peter and by bishops in communion with the Pope with a liturgy that is then to be centered on the Mass. The understanding is that every church is to be exactly alike. There is to be no differences. There are to be no distinctions. 
every worship service is exactly to be exactly the same. No distinction, no changes whatsoever. Because we got this from Peter. And our Pope got it from Peter. And the bishops rule under the authority of who? The Pope. Under the authority of who? Peter. Who's missing? Christ. So we have this ecclesiastical setup of a church that in its working, in its operation, is denying the truth that we just read, that Christ is preeminent, that Christ is the head of the body, the church. The reformers are looking at it and saying, that's not happening in the Catholic church. You've abandoned the preeminence of Christ. On the other hand, we have these Anabaptist folks. These folks that have raised all sorts of anarchy in the city of Munster, the, in all sorts of revolt. They, they, it, it, it is, it is mind-boggling when you read what happened there as far as they're throwing off of church authority, they're throwing off of civil authority, they're throwing off of biblical authority, and it simply became whatever the prophet told us to do, that's what we do. And the one thing the prophet is telling us to do is we should have nothing to do with anything that looks like an institution church. Nothing that has anything to do with organization. Nothing that has anything to do with form, shape. We must flee that. We must run from that. And we will each be an authority unto ourselves. Where is the preeminence of Christ? Where is the teaching then that Christ is the head of the body of the church? It was forsaken. Now, as I have been telling you, we, we live okay, in this same historical context. The context has not changed. We may think, oh, lots has gone on, lots of changes have been made since 1516. No, they haven't. The Roman Catholic Church still operates by those same principles in terms of its authority. And the Anabaptist still operates on its same territory. In fact, it's growing. And its special seed of growth is here in the United States. Why? Because in the United States there is this thing of rugged individualism. And so we make our own rules. And we're not going to submit to anybody. I'm going to leave my house in the middle of the parking lot whether it makes sense or not. I don't want anybody telling me anything. And that, my friends, includes, for many in this day and age, the church. you got no authority over me. You can't tell me what to do. So people just do their own thing. 
Now I realize I'm preaching to the choir, but you need to hear this because you're more likely to hear it from them than I am. Not too many people walk up to the pastor and say, Pastor, I, I wasn't in church last Sunday night because I went here. I did this. Okay? But they may tell you. Well, I went to a concert at the water park, waterfront, Grand Haven. What is that? Rugged individualism and a lack of submission to the church of Jesus Christ. It's a denial of the preeminence of Christ. Well, I didn't go to our church. I, I, Sunday nights, I don't go to our church. I, I go to another church. Oh, under the authority of the elders? The elders gave you? No, I do that on my own. Nobody can tell me what church I can go to. Nobody? What happens to Christ as the head? See, we face this. This, this isn't just Guido de Bray in the midst of there, the lowlands of Belgium, trying to explain the existence of the Reformed faith in the midst of a society that doesn't know the preeminence of Christ. We live in a society that doesn't understand the preeminence of Christ. In fact, what makes matters worse is we're surrounded by churches that should know this and don't even know what it is that they believe. I'm not saying, folks, I want you to listen carefully. I want, I want you to hear this carefully. I did not say, that doesn't mean they aren't Christians. But I will tell you this, it is not reform. It is not reform. In the reformed understanding of the church, we submit ourselves to the rule of Christ. And I do not have the right to make my own decisions. Christ is to be preeminent even in the church of Jesus Christ. So what did Debray do? Here's the two places. They both sort of end up in the same place, but... You have the extreme of an institutionalized church that is so institutionalized that it covers over corruption. Has it changed? See, the sickness that we find going on in the Catholic Church today is sin. But it's allowed to continue and it doesn't get checked, and it doesn't get dealt with, because Christ is not preeminent there. A pope is. Notice the question, what's Francis going to do? What Francis going to do? What Francis is going to do? How about what does Christ say to do? do you, you notice you never hear that argument? Why? Because it's the same issue that Debray was dealing with. They do not recognize the authority of Christ in the church. Nor do those of that rugged individualism. So what does Debray do? He goes back to the word. He goes back 
to Scripture. And that's what we do as Reformed people. So let me, let me offer to you the one that comes from our text tonight. The illustrated church. What does it look like? It's chapter 1 of Colossians, verse 18. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the head of the body, the church. There is the illustration. What is the church? The church is the body. Notice it's repeated in verse 24. Notice I rejoice. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body. That is the church. It's repeated for us again in the book of Ephesians chapter 3 verse 6. Chapters 5 verse 23. It's repeated for us in Romans 12 5. And we have that huge section of 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 27. What is the church? Scripture gives us the picture. The church is a body. He might actually fly into my mouth yet. So, so if I'm waving like this, it's not some new gyrations. It's uh, a fly. So he gives us this picture. What is the church? It's a body. Now let me, let, 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 let's just stop and think about that a minute. God gives to Paul, through the Holy Spirit, this word. Paul, I want you to, to write that Christ is the head. He's preeminent over the church. Which, which I want to you, you to use the word body. I don't want you to use the word mountain. I don't want you to use the word river. I don't want you to use the word stone, at least at this point. Here, Paul, I want you to use the word body. Now, you have to step back from that, and we have to ask the question, Lord, what was that meant to signify, Right? What does it mean that the church is a body? Well, we can't be completely exhaustive in one evening, but let me at least give you three things. A body is defined. See, a body is not an amoeba. A, a body is something that has definition it has fingers it has hands it has arms it has shoulders it has feet it has ankles it has knees it has a midsection it has a neck and it has a head a body is defined the church has a definition in other words, the church isn't just some willy-nilly thing that you, you can't figure out what it is. No, and Debray and the Reformers did a great job of helping us to understand it. What, how do you define the church? The church is the holy congregation. I, I should add this as well, because I, I don't want you to misunderstand me. When you read the word this here, 
Debray is not talking to First Reformed Church of the Lowlands of Belgium. He's not saying, unless you belong to my congregation. That's not what he's saying. This church refers to the Holy Catholic, the universal church. How is it defined? As true believers who expect their salvation in Jesus Christ, being washed by his blood, sanctified and sealed by the Holy Spirit. That is the definition of the church. See, it's defined. The church is not people who like other people. The church is not people who are accepting of other people. The church is not Dutch people. Church is not Italian people. The church is not Scots. The church are all those who are looking to Christ and Christ alone for their salvation, who have been washed in his blood, sanctified by that Holy Spirit. That is the church. Everyone else is outside of that. See, it's one body. It's not 500 bodies. It's not that the church, you know, I don't know, probably a couple of thousand denominations out there. The church is not a couple of thousand denominations. Now, it's a body, one, singular. It's not that Christ is the head of the bodies. It's one. There is but one church. And all those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ alone for their salvation are part of that one church. Secondly, as you think about a body, a body is not only defined, but a body is also limited. A body can only do certain things, and it has certain properties that govern it as a body. Okay? I, I'm, I'm not a star up in the heavens. That star in the heavens has, has different qualities and so on that make it up. That's not what a body is. A body is limited. So uh, uh, when you think about the church, yes, it's all these believers, but there is also a certain limit placed upon that. What do I mean by that? That the church is gathered into an organization under which elders and deacons exist and the sacraments are dispersed. This is the church. I don't think my brother will disagree with me, and I, I certainly mean him no offense in this, but I have never met a Gideon who is not a member of a church. Why? Because the Gideons is not a church. It's not the Gideon church. That's not their limit. They, they Christians but not church. You know, think about that list then. 
See, the church is not just an organization. It's not a Bible society. The church is not a mission agency. The church is not, ooh, I'll step in it here. The church is not the conference ground. That's not the church. There may be some Christians joining together to praise God, but it's not the church. Nor is young life. Young life is not the church. The church exists within the confines of certain limits. Christ is the head of the body, the church. A body is defined, a body is limited, and a body has multiple parts. No, that's Paul's point, right, in Corinthians, that we're not all noses, that we're not all, you know, we're not all hands, we're not all feet, okay? We're not all elbows, you know? If we were, where would the sense of hearing be? Where would the sense of smell be? That's Paul's argument. There are these various parts, individuals who, may, who are made up, and, and that's what Paul drove at in the passage I read as our call to worship from Ephesians. That's what Paul is driving at here in Colossians. You who were far off have now been engrafted into what? Into the body. We've been brought in. We've made, made part of it as Gentiles. Of the body of Christ. So Paul's picture that he gives to us from the Lord is of great diversity. That it's not all one. In fact, the very definition would say it can't be one. The church, by its very definition as a body, is to be understood as diverse. which is opposite of what the Catholic Church was teaching. And the fact that it had to come under structure is opposite of what the Anabaptists were saying. And the fact that everybody has a head. Why does Paul have to tell us that? And he is the head of the body the church, so that you and I remember who the preeminent one is. It's not us. It's Christ. It's his word. It's those that he has given to the church to rule. told you this before but they were willing to die for that you know what modern America is willing to do I'll just drive two miles down the road to a church that doesn't teach that I'll just find a church that lets me do what I want to do uh think they're doing perhaps wonderful things. And in and of themselves, perhaps they are good things. 
But when we do them in our own authority, then we're violating Scripture. Because Christ is the head of the body, the church. Let's pray. Father, thank you. These are challenging words to us in the day and age in which we live. We live in a world, Father, in which we're not supposed to talk about such things. We're all just supposed to get along real nice and just say nice things. And this idea of defining and limiting the church runs so at odds with the world. It's the human traditions. It's the empty philosophies that are out there in the world. But it's not only in the world. It's even oftentimes within the church itself. And yet, Father, nothing can take us away from the truth. The truth is there, that Christ is preeminent. Lord, we pray. We pray that as, as just a, a local church here in the midst of Coopersville country, that we may seek to be that which this verse calls us to be, the body of Christ, where the head, Christ, rules and reigns. But Father, not only collectively, but individually, Father, may in this week the rule of Christ impress itself upon all that we say and do. Even as we sang a few minutes ago, that Christ be seen, that we be reflections Christ in this world, including submitting to the preeminence of Christ, in whose name we pray and God's people say, amen. Three hundred.